This episode of the Make Life Matter podcast is the message I shared at River of Life on November 1st, 2020. It is called Before You Were Born, a message of truth, healing, and hope on the sanctity of life. Everywhere we turn, we feel an overwhelming sense of uncertainty. So many voices, so many opinions, so many ways we can go. Is there a clear path? How do we find it? How can we hear God's voice above all the noise? As followers of Jesus, we are to be set apart. We're in the world, but we're not on the path of the world. God doesn't just see where the road goes. He paves the road. He knows what lies beyond every bend in our lives. Jesus is the way, and His Word is the guide. In 1984, a 16-year-old girl stood in front of her public high school sociology teacher and a classroom full of her peers to read aloud an assigned research term paper on a culturally relevant topic. She titled it, Abortion, the Silent Cry of the Unborn, and began with this statement. Rarely, if ever, has one solitary issue caused such overwhelming controversy. It is undeniably unprecedented in its ability to captivate the interest and involvement of an entire society. The issue of abortion has managed to seep into social, political, legal, economic, moral, and medical institutions. It is obvious when an issue encompasses such an incredible number of participants, the statistics, facts, opinions become endless. It is mandatory, therefore, to view abortion from a combination of standpoints. It is impossible to have opinion without fact, argument without reason. Legal, medical, and moral facts can be combined to give the accurate picture of abortion. After presenting historical, scientific, and biblical evidence to support the sanctity of life, she said this, When society becomes its own master, anything is justifiable. That girl was me. And here I stand, 38 years later, in front of a completely different audience, to defend the rights of the unborn and advocate for the sanctity of life. I spent a lot of time with the gravity of this subject and this message. I've been praying and researching and crying as I prepared. I could spend countless hours offering you statistics and science, and I will share some, or stories of uncountable women living in the long shadow cast by the trauma of abortion. The shadow of trauma that has left physical, mental, and emotional scars on men, women, doctors, nurses, and those who survived despite attempts to end their life through abortion. This is a sensitive issue. It is a heartbreaking issue. Worldwide, an abortion is performed every second. Six million Jews died under the dictates of Adolf Hitler not including millions of others killed for various reasons. 60 million babies have died by abortion in the United States alone. Throughout our lives, Dale and I have lived in the following states, Virginia, Missouri, 
New York, New Jersey, North Carolina, Georgia, Hawaii, and Alaska. Using 2020 census numbers, the population of all these states combined nearly equals the number of abortions in this country. As I added those numbers together this week, I got sick to my stomach. My heart grew heavy and I began to weep. The equivalent of eight states in this country completely wiped out. And I thought to myself, how did we get here? Behind every statistic is a face, a life, a story. Not just of the unborn child, but of the woman. A woman who looked at the landscape of her life and believed she had no other choice. The reasons are as varied as the individual stories that we tell. The teenage girl forced to have an abortion by her parents to a shame to allow her to carry the baby. I know this woman. The woman who didn't think she was ready to have a child and become a mother. I know this woman. The woman who experienced unimaginable circumstances and pain and shame. I know this woman. The woman who felt too overwhelmed to raise a child alone. I know this woman. The woman who wanted to have sexual relationships without any consequence or responsibility. I know this woman. The woman who viewed abortion as a means of birth control, unwilling to be inconvenienced by a baby. I know this woman. The men, the fathers, who had a vital role in the creation of life, some mourning a decision they made to encourage a woman to have an abortion, others left in the wake of a child that they wanted and never had, and a baby who didn't have a voice in someone else's choice. Planned Parenthood gives us these statistics as the reasons for abortion, 0.5% incest, 1% rape, 12% fetal abnormalities, 25% don't want people to know they are pregnant, 48% didn't want to be a single parent, 73% couldn't afford a child, and 74% said a child would interfere with their life. The topics we've covered during our America series are difficult. They're uncomfortable, and for some they are deeply personal and excruciatingly painful. If we can't share these messages with compassion, we shouldn't share them at all. This isn't a message of condemnation for any woman or man who has made this choice or had it made for them. My prayer is that this is a message of truth and healing and hope, a message that reminds us that the enemy comes only to rob and steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. It is the message that every human being is created in the image of God, the imago dei, and with value and purpose. God is not neutral, nor is he silent when it comes to the silent cry of the unborn. My heart grieved deeply as I researched and wrote this message, but it's only a tiny fraction of the heart of God. As we understand our Heavenly Father's voice, God's voice, and his heart, we can speak with tender hearts and strong voices about the sanctity of life from the womb to the tomb. We will see that in the womb, God is working. Before you were born, 
God knew you, and he had a plan for your life. You are not an accident. And to God, every life matters. Every life matters. God stands on the side of life, and as his followers, so should we. This series provides a biblical perspective in a political world. I want to first give a legal and medical framework before I share what the Bible has to say. What is abortion? Abortion is officially defined as the termination of a human pregnancy after, accompanied by, resulting in, or closely followed by the death of the embryo or fetus. In layman's terms, it is a medical means of ending a pregnancy. Although our culture has sought to normalize abortion, it is impossible to sanitize it. It is, indisputably, a violent act. In addition to the risks to a woman inherent in abortion, statistics also show increased rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, infertility, and other complications in women who have had an abortion. At just seven to nine weeks of pregnancy, the baby is sucking it his or her thumb. He or she is responding to sound. Their heart is pumping. The liver is functioning. The kidneys are cleaning fluids, and the baby has fingerprints. The baby can be seen on an ultrasound and can recoil from pain. The types of abortion vary by state and trimester of pregnancy. In the first trimester, weeks 1 through 12, abortion methods include a series of medications or vacuum aspiration, a surgical abortion using manual or mechanical suction. During the second trimester, weeks 13 through 26, the surgical method of dilation and evacuation is used. With risk to, of injury to the uterus or other organs in a woman in one in every 1,000 women. Labor induction abortion, including partial birth abortion, is a late-term method of ending a pregnancy in the second or third trimester, weeks 27 to the end of pregnancy, and they include a number of severe complications to the woman's health, as well as live births. With ongoing scientific breakthroughs, viability meaning a point a premature baby can live outside the womb is 23 weeks, and as early as 20 weeks. That is crucial for a number of reasons. However, what is truly paramount is when does life begin? Here is a quote from just one of many scientific resources by Dr. Kondik, Associate Professor of Neurobiology and Adjunct Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Utah School of Medicine and the Director of Human Embryology Instruction for the Medical School. The conclusion that life begins at sperm-egg fusion is uncontested. Objective, based on the universally accepted scientific method of distinguishing different cell types from each other and on ample scientific evidence, thousands of independent peer-reviewed publications. Moreover, it is entirely independent of any ethical, moral, political, or religious view of human life or of human embryos. Indeed, this definition does not directly address the central ethical question surrounding the embryo, what value ought society place on human life at the earliest stages of development? A neutral examination of the evidence merely establishes the onset of a human life, a new human life, at a scientifically well-defined, quote, moment of conception, a conclusion that unequivocally indicates 
that human embryos from one stell sage forward are indeed individuals of the human species, in other words, human beings. There is a tremendous amount of scientific evidence that is in complete agreement with the Bible. Life begins at conception. The Declaration of Independence contains a right most Americans cherish the most, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yet on January 22, 1973, the United States Supreme Court denied this right to all unborn human beings. By a 7-2 decision, the court ruled in the landmark Roe v. Wade case that, quote, a state cannot intervene in the abortion decision between a woman and her physician during the first three months of pregnancy. During the second trimester, when abortion is more hazardous, the state can enact certain statutes to restrict abortion. After six months, abortion is prohibited except when it is necessary to preserve the life or health of the mother, end of quote. The major grounds for their decision, based on the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, quote, concept of personal liberty, was the woman's right to privacy, which the court held, quote, is broad enough to encompass whether or not to terminate a pregnancy. In response to Roe v. Wade, most states enacted or attempted to enact laws limiting or regulating abortion, such as requiring parental consent for minors, spousal mutual consent, requiring abortions to be performed in hospitals and not clinics, barring state funding, banning intact dilation and extraction, also known as partial birth abortion, laws regarding waiting periods, and laws requiring women to read literature and watch a fetal ultrasound. The Supreme Court struck down some state restrictions, removing spousal notification as one. In a long series of cases, stretching from the mid-1970s to the 1980s, but they upheld restrictions on funding. In 2019, New York passed the Reproductive Health Act, removing any restrictions on first and second trimester abortions and providing easier access to abortions up to and including the point of birth. In addition, it also modified sections of the New York State Penal Code to eliminate references to abortion, Prior to these changes, the definition of a homicide, including causing the death of a person defined as, quote, a human being who has been born and is alive, or of an unborn child if the woman has been pregnant for more than 24 weeks. After the removal of abortion from the penal code, the existing definition of person as, quote, a human being who has been born alive, has been born and is alive, remains, but because there is no longer any reference whatsoever to unborn children as possible victims of homicide, the law now effectively excludes them from the definition of human being. New York, Washington, D.C., and New Jersey have the highest rates of abortion. One in every three pregnancies ends in abortion. Here in Virginia, House Bill 2. 491, introduced by Kathy Tran and supported by Governor Ralph Northam, would remove any restrictions on abortions up to the point of birth, far past any contention about viability. Northam is quoted, If a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired. 
and then a discussion would ensue between the physician and the mother. The argument for abortion is predicated on the premise that a woman should be able to do what she wants with her body without any limitations by law. However, we are all limited by law with what we can do with our bodies, including laws against prostitution, pedophilia, and even simpler matters such as requiring a seatbelt while driving. Women have been entrusted by God to carry life, but they cannot create life. God creates life, and it takes both a man and a woman for that life to exist. We know unequivocally that life begins at conception, and we know that abortion takes a life. Abortion reaches farther than the courtroom, though, or the hospital. It reaches to the heart of a society, its morals. So what does the Bible say? Uninformed faith is just an opinion. We need to know what God says before anyone else hears what we have to say. The Church of Jesus Christ must filter every issue, every choice through the Word of God. God personally creates every human life. He is active in creation. He oversees our development, and we are made in the image of God. Abortion idolizes our own personal will above the will of God. As followers of Christ, our bodies are no longer our own. They belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 states, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Scriptural boundaries for our protection extend to and include sexual relationships and the restriction of sex before marriage and the sanctity of life. Throughout the Bible, we see a clear pattern and principle. Any nation that has shown premeditated violence on children has been judged by God in the harshest of ways. In Exodus 20, God gives one of the Ten Commandments to Moses, Thou shalt not kill. Numerous biblical passages and stories describe God's judgment, the shedding of innocent blood. Throughout history, child sacrifice was a part of many pagan cultures. When Israel, God's people, began to sacrifice their children like the pagan cultures and nations around them, they were judged by God. God is a just God. In contrast, Exodus records the heroic actions of a cross-cultural alliance of women who delivered a deliverer, Moses. The midwives risked their lives to defy an executive order by the Pharaoh, constituting infanticide of all Hebrew boys. Scripture tells us, quote, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. In response, verse 20 tells us that because the midwives feared God, he rewarded them, and he gave them families of their own. His mother, Jochebed, placed her baby, who we know as Moses, in the Nile River, where Pharaoh's own daughter rescued him. I wrote this about Jochebed and Fearless. Our thoughts might be tumbling, landing on the premise that she had no choice, but we always have a choice. When we crumble under circumstances, we let the world have what is most precious to us. If our hope is not firmly set on God, our hearts will settle 
for less than his best. She could have let Egypt take him or do the unspeakable and take matters into her own hands. Instead, she became an instrument of preservation and hope and deliverance at her own peril. Instead of caving to the world's demands, she crafted a cradle to save hope. God says this to his church today. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So our cry, the cry of every believer should be, God, would you have mercy on us? God is not neutral, nor is he silent when it comes to the silent cry of the unborn. God stands on the side of life. And as his followers, so should we. We've looked at some of the personal, legal, historical, medical, and scientific institutions surrounding abortion. But as followers of Christ, we must know and obey what the Bible, God's word, says about the sanctity of life. I could give you so many scriptures, but here are just a few. In the womb, God is working, and this is seen throughout the Bible. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, as the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah what he had promised, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. Both of those scriptures in Genesis. Genesis 25 shares how God told Rebekah and Isaac that there were two nations in her womb before she even gave birth to Jacob and Esau. Job 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 100 verse 3, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His. Psalm 127 verse 3, Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from Him. Well, let's look at the New Testament. Not only is God working in the womb, but the Trinity is present in the womb. Luke chapter 1 tells us about the birth of John the Baptist, one of my favorite people in the Bible, foretold by Gabriel to Zechariah. Verse 12 of chapter 1 says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call his name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Luke, who is a doctor by profession, goes on in that passage to share Gabriel's words telling the purpose John would fulfill on the earth. Look at Colossians 1, verse 15 through 17. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him... All things hold together. We were created through Christ Jesus and for Christ Jesus. We were created to glorify Jesus. And this is seen again in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals a man blind from birth. 
When his disciples asked him, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? Because they assumed that that was the reason for his blindness. Jesus answered them this, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We don't understand everything in this side of heaven, but we do know this. Every life is created in the image of God, no matter what. Every life is worthy of being treated with dignity, not disposed of. The baby with Down syndrome, the baby with a defect, just like in John chapter 9. What if what we call a defect is the very thing God is going to use to transform lives and bring glory to himself? After many years of struggling with health conditions in my own life, as a child on, I was so frustrated one day and I said to the Lord, I feel like the reject off the assembly line of heaven. And God said to me, I don't make any rejects. Furthermore, he doesn't have an assembly line. Out of a, a, a population worldwide of over 7 billion people, not one set of fingerprints is the same. We are uniquely handcrafted by God. I intentionally skipped over two passages until now. The words of Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 1 give even the most fragile of hearts the encouragement we need to know that from the womb to the tomb, we have eternal and divine purpose. David pens these poignant words in Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Did you get that? We estimate that the observable universe contains two trillion galaxies. That is two million million. And the God of the universe who spoke the planets into place, who spoke and the seas were formed and all that was in it, he knows you by name. He created you and he knew you before you were born. David continues in verse 13 through 16, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And that's what God spoke over me in my struggle as I said that to him. Angela, I see your health issues, your struggles, your defects, but I created you. I knew you before you were born. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I wrote that lyric into a song called Trust You Anyhow on my first album after I nearly died from a health crisis. And I'll praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I know that you will always find a way to use even the darkest night to show who you are. I can't help but wonder if somebody had said to my parents, this baby you're carrying, she's going to have a lot of health problems. She's going to have over a dozen surgeries. She's going to have endometriosis. You're going to struggle with her from a child with, with osteomyelitis and a rare genetic disorder. She's going to end up losing the sight in her left eye because of being so severely nearsighted. Maybe she's just going to have too many problems and too many defects and too many challenges. Does that mean my life doesn't have value and it doesn't have purpose? 
I'm so thankful that my parents chose life. And I encourage you, no matter what decision you are facing, choose life. Jeremiah 1 received the same promise in chapter 1, verse 5. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he set you apart and he appointed you for purpose. God was working before the womb and he works in the womb. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are God's masterpiece and we are his handiwork and we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So what does all of this mean for us today? What is our response? Perhaps you're listening and you're saying, Angela, okay, I, I hear all of this. I understand it. But what am I supposed to do? What do I do if I've had an abortion? What do I do if I've participated in an abortion? I know that for some, you have lived with pain and shame all of your life from an agonizing choice. For others, you've lived with walled up sections of your heart that died alongside an unborn baby. For others, you've lived bruised and calloused and hardened by choices that can't be changed. Some women live with physical scars and consequences of abortion that have left them infertile, unable to have a child. And if that's you, I pray for God's creative, healing, miracle work in your life. There is no rewind. There is only redemption. I love that quote by Jody Dietrich. Stop looking backwards. Look forward to the plan and purpose that God has for your life. No matter who you are, no matter what your story, God's grace is enough for you. God's grace and forgiveness is enough for any sin and for any situation. When Jesus encountered the woman caught in adultery, Mary Magdalene, or the woman at the well in Samaria, steeped in sinful choices, several critical things happened. He removed shame. He silenced condemnation. He lifted them up out of the bondage of sin and their past and into the promise of their destiny. And just as he did with anyone struggling with sin, he required them to stop living in sin, to make new godly choices and accept his mercy and his grace. Mary Magdalene went on to serve as one of Jesus' most devoted disciples and the Samaritan woman became the first female evangelist and brought her entire town to meet Christ. Jesus offers the same forgiveness, the same grace, the same mercy to us. He asks that we acknowledge our sin and that we accept his freedom to walk in that grace. Each one of us has the responsibility to wash all of our choices through the word of God. Choices have consequences. And as it's been said Band-Aids don't cover bullet holes. Jesus died and he took the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders so that you and I don't have to carry it. So we can have grace in every trial and strength for every situation and mercy in our time of need. You are worth fighting for, for your wholeness, for your peace. I encourage you to pursue the healing that you need through support groups and resources and counseling. And if you're listening to me and you've had an abortion or you participated in an abortion or you suffered a miscarriage, God told me to tell you this. 
your unborn child is in heaven with him. He knew them before they were in the womb, and he is with them now. He wants you to receive his healing and his forgiveness and his peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to know with assurance that your child is in heaven. If you're considering having an abortion, I pray now that you've seen God's heart for your life and for the life of your unborn child, that you will surrender your life and your choices to him. God has an eternal and a divine purpose for the life that he has entrusted to you to carry. God will give you the grace and the strength and the guidance you need moving forward. We strongly encourage you to seek out and contact your local crisis pregnancy center in your area where you can receive encouragement and counseling and direction. What do we all do as a Christian to honor God, to honor his word and to love people the way he wants us to love them? How can we have a biblical perspective on the sanctity of life in a political world? First, we can pray. It's easier to pick it than it is to pray. But prayer aligns our heart with the heart of God and with his heart for people. Remember that in the womb, God is working. We can repent for actions that have grieved God or wounded others. And we can receive God's forgiveness to forgive ourselves from choices and receive deliverance from any haunting memories or shame. We can also receive the grace to forgive others. Second, we can support men and women who choose life over an abortion. We can support our local crisis pregnancy center as we do here at River of Life. We can support the choice for life through adoption. Ask God he would, how he would have you be Jesus in the flesh. We're not just to love with words, but with action. Third, we can speak up for the sanctity of life and for the rights of the unborn. Remember that Jesus only spoke what the Father told him to speak, so we're to speak in love when he tells us and in the ways he tells us. We can also contact our representatives and our senators and ask them to protect the sanctity of life and the rights of the unborn. God is not neutral, nor is he silent when it comes to the silent cry of the unborn. He stands on the side of life, and as his followers, so should we. Study, study the word of God. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you apply it to your everyday life. Listen, God's word is the answer we need to the complex dilemmas we're facing today in America and around the world. Saturate yourself with the word of God so that you can ground your worth and your choices in what God says instead of the narrative of the world. Finally, share. God wants you out of the shadows of abortion. I want to ask you to prayerfully consider if perhaps, and stay open to the possibility that perhaps God might want you to share your story. Maybe it's in the safety of a counselor's office. Maybe you've never, never told anybody. Or maybe it's in the middle of a crisis in another woman's life where God may use you just like he did the midwives and Jochebed and Pharaoh's daughter to preserve life and to bring hope. I want to end with Lisa Turkhurst, true and painful story of abortion when she was dating her now husband, Art. I personally heard her share this story when I visited Israel on my first trip with her at the top of Mount Arbel. These are her words. 
Is there something from your past that haunts you and constantly interrupts your thoughts? For many years, that something in my life was my abortion. I walked around in a zombie-like state in the months following that decision with a growing hatred for myself at the root of my pain and confusion. Up until that point, the things that brought hurt into my life were caused by others. But the abortion was a choice I made myself. It seemed like the only answer at the time. The abortion clinic workers assured me that they could take care of this, quote, problem quickly and easily so I would never have to think about it again. What a lie. I kept my secret very deep within my heart. I was so ashamed, so horrified, so convinced that if anyone ever found out I'd had an abortion, I would be rejected by all my church friends and deemed a woman unfit to serve God. My complete healing began when I was finally able to turn my thoughts past my own healing to helping others in the same situation. It was terrifying to think about sharing my story with another person. Then I heard of a young girl who worked for my husband who was in a crisis pregnancy situation. She'd asked for a few days off so that she could have an abortion. I was faced with a fierce tug of war in my spirit. I knew if she heard my story, she might make a different choice. But what would she think of me? What would others think if they found out? I knew God wanted me to talk to her, so would I trust him or would I retreat back into my shame? With shaking hands, I approached Sydney intent on God's comfort, extending God's comfort and compassion. Maybe I could just share a few Bible verses and offer to help her without making myself vulnerable. But during our time together, it became clear that she needed to hear my story. With a cracking voice and tear-filled eyes, I decided to care more about her situation than keeping my secret hidden. I told her the truth of what I'd experienced, and I prayed she'd make a different choice. A year after that first meeting, I sat across from Sydney once again. She choked out a whispered, thank you, as she turned and kissed the chubby-cheeked boy in the baby carrier next to her. As soon as she spoke those two life-defining words, tears fell from both of her eyes. Hers were tears of relief. Mine were tears of redemption. Both were wrapped in the hope that God can truly take even our worst mistakes and somehow bring good from them. God knew you before you were born. He created you on purpose. He created you with purpose. No sin is a match for the blood of Jesus. No secret is stronger than the grace of God. And no struggle is greater than the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever our place of sin or struggle or pain, God will meet us in those tender places. I want you to hear me. He offers us redemption. He offers us restoration. He offers us renewed purpose. He offers us healing. He offers us hope. All we have to do is receive it. God, I thank you so much that you love us, that you created us, that you had a plan and a purpose before we were even born for every one of us. Anyone who's ever felt like they were an accident, I pray that you would lift that off of them in the name of Jesus. Any woman or man who's ever lived in the shadow of abortion, I pray, God, that you would bring them into the light 
There is no shadow in you, Jesus. So I thank you for your complete healing and your restoration, your grace and your forgiveness. God, I pray that you would heal us as a nation, God. I pray that you would help us to turn our hearts to you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would be convicted by the words that are in Scripture, God, that it is not our choices, God, but our faith has to be informed by the Word of God. Lord, I pray for any of us that have spoken unkind words. We've been hateful. God, would you... Would you help us? Would you convict us? Would you help us to know how to move forward? God, we want to love you and we want to love people. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thank you for your peace and your comfort and your purpose in our lives. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. so much for joining our conversation. I'd love to stay connected, so be sure to visit AngelaDenadio.com for my books, blogs, and free goodies. And find me on Facebook at AngelaDenadioVOV and Instagram at AngelaDenadio. If you've been inspired to make life matter, leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Until next week, let's keep discovering miracles in life's messy moments.